David Luce is a preaching professor whose writings I often find insightful. And he has written commentary on today's New Testament lesson, the gospel reading from the third chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, verses 1 through 12, which I'll read in just a moment. And in writing this commentary for pastors who will be preaching on this text on this second Sunday in Advent, he challenges them by saying, what if preachers were not to invite their congregations to have less during those days leading up to Christmas, less commercialism, less gluttony, less greed, but rather what if they were to invite their congregations to have more, more joy, more peace, more hope, more grace? And what if pastors were to invite their congregations during this time to hope grander hopes and to dream bigger dreams. Well, as it happens in our scripture lesson today, there is a preacher who is on center stage. He is John the Baptist, and on the surface, it would seem that he is screaming at his congregation to have less. However, I invite you to listen to this text beneath the surface, and to hear how he is inviting both his first century congregation and this 21st century congregation to have more, more peace, more joy, more grace, to hope grander hopes, and to dream bigger dreams. Let us listen for God's word for us. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. Of the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, 
but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of today's sermon is Turning Toward. Turning Toward. If I were to ask you to make a list of things that your mother told you when you were a kid, or if you are still a kid, that your mother is still telling you, what would be on that list? How about beds are not for jumping on? Or how about always be sure to wear clean underwear because you never know you might be in an accident? Or how about this one, which has come to be one of my favorites ever since my friend Jane Kane shared it with me. It's what her mother would say to her children often. I have come to love it, and it has become one of my own mom-isms. Take the pie when it's passed to you. And then perhaps this most universal of things that mothers say to their children. If you can't say something nice, <laughs> don't say it at all. I have absolutely no idea what kind of advice John the Baptist's mother gave to him when he was growing up. And actually, Matthew doesn't even mention John's mother at all. Luke does. He tells us that her name was Elizabeth and that she was older than the average first century mom. I have no idea what kind of advice she gave to him when he was growing up, but I can tell you this, that if she ever said to him, if you can't say something nice about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, don't say it at all, he totally ignored her. John the Baptist was not known for saying nice things. He was not known for saying nothing at all. However, each of the four gospel writers, every single one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, starts off the story of Jesus by bringing John the Baptist on to center stage. And every Advent, the lectionary gives us a passage to read that's focused on John the Baptist. Even though, you know, if you go to the card store and you look for a Christmas card that features John the Baptist, your search is going to be in vain. No, John the Baptist was not known for saying nice things. He was not known for saying nothing at all. And he begins by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. How does that word repent strike you? For many of us, that word assaults our eardrums in the 21st century with a violent crack akin to the sound that was made when a lightning bolt struck the pine tree across the street from my house a couple of years ago and split it clean in two. That word repent can bring to mind florid, pulpit-pounding, 
preachers and revival tents, not angelic choirs singing tidings of comfort and joy. No, those are the images that may come to our minds. And that's why it's important to take a closer look at the meaning of that word repent. Taken in this context, it really does not refer to throwing off a sodden blanket of guilt in order that one can avoid writhing for all eternity in the fiery flames of hell. The word that is translated into English as repent actually means turning. And as we will hear in the anthem that the choir will sing following the sermon, the canticle of turning, what is meant is a total reorientation of one's life in this life as we walk the grounds of this earth. It's a total reorientation in which we turn from the ways that we are already thinking about ourselves, about other people, about life, about God, turn from that toward a competing and a more compelling vision. And what then is that vision? Well, we are told that the vision is the kingdom of heaven. And we read of what that looks like in the Old Testament lesson that Joanne has read in Isaiah chapter 11. It's that vision of the peaceable kingdom where the leopards and the lions are playing in the park with the lambs and with the calves. And who else is there? All of the children. All of the children. It's God's playground. It's nothing less than the entire complete healing of the cosmos. It's what we act out here at the Advent wreath during the season of Advent in which we proclaim God's own hope, peace, joy, and love, and say that that is the way that it is to be for every person, every creature that is on the planet. And the interesting thing is, the striking thing is, that when John preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If we read on into the fourth chapter, the 17th verse of Matthew, we find that Jesus begins his ministry with these exact same words. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It is the best possible news that there could ever be. And that is why John cannot be silent. It's why he cannot be bound by that advice that one is to not say anything at all if you can't say something nice. Some of you, perhaps a number of you, may remember when 
Tom Long was our preacher about this time a year ago. And he has written a wonderful commentary on the gospel according to Matthew. When he comments on this particular passage, what he does is to take the thread of John the Baptist sermon and to pull it into the 21st century. And he writes about how um, John the Baptist called the Pharisees and the Sadducees to account for their complicity in sin. Now, we have to acknowledge that um, sometimes Christian preachers are prone to um, say to their congregations in such a way that we think the Pharisees and the Sadducees were really bad people. They were not. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were really good people. They were the highly educated people, the people that everyone respected. You know, people like you and me. And John calls them to account for their complicity in sin. It's what we've prayed for, actually, in our own prayer of confession today, that we would be clear-eyed, clear-minded about seeing how we're complicit in sin. And then what Tom does is to take that, that thread that he's already pulled into the 21st century, and he pulls it a little further, and he names a particular sin. It is the sin of inequities that still exist in our nation between people of different races. Now, there are countless ways, a multitude of ways, that people can look at the ways that we participate in this in order that we might move and move forward in proclaiming and living and speaking the truth of God's love, peace, joy, and hope. I want to talk about two of them now. The first of these is, relates to us as a congregation. You know, every time we come into the sanctuary, if we look up, we're reminded of our history. We're reminded of barriers between those who were enslaved and those who enslaved them. This church is doing a magnificent job already of attempting to address this sin. Um, since 2015, the bridge builders have been intentional in addressing this and helping us wrestle with this and to move forward and proclaiming a different vision and living a different vision. And then more recently, you've become a member congregation of the Charleston Area Justice Ministry, CAJUM, in which we work with partners all around the city and this community 
to become a more just, a more equitable place, a place where this vision of the total healing of the cosmos becomes more of a reality. And so there's still so much work to do, though, so much work to do. And so God calls you to build on what's already been done, especially as you formulate kind of what the identity of this congregation will be in the future. And I will say, as you move toward calling your next new pastor, that when she gets here, <laughs> that uh, you will see it an important part of that person's ministry. The other level on which we deal with this is, of course, on our very personal level. And all of the ways that the Spirit um, sometimes unbidden comes to us and gives us opportunities to speak and to live the truth of what John is proclaiming here. And so I will just share with you an essay that was written by somebody named Michael Anthony. Um, it's gotten spread around the social media, so you may have already seen it. And Michael Anthony was in a place on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving that nobody ever wants to be. You know where it is? The grocery store checkout line. <laughs> and so he was standing there, and there was a long line in his aisle and in the aisle next to him and in the aisle on the other side as well. Everybody was pretty much minding their own business, just parked there moving slowly toward the checkout. And there they were parked next to the magazine rack. And the person who was standing next to Michael looked at one of those magazine covers, pointed to it, and then he bellowed out loud a very, very racist, and I would add sexist, remark. You could see the people not only in that line, but on e the lines on either side, people grimace and just look down and to just try to avoid what had just happened. Michael himself was looking down, and as he did, a thought flashed through his mind. He remembered an experience that he had had when he was six years old. He was visiting a relative, and this relative lived in a home that had once been on the Underground Railroad. He remembers sitting under that deck in that home, and there was a commemorative stone there. And he was a six-year-old white boy, he said, and he leaned against the stone, and he heard the story that surrounded that house. And he said to himself, I will never let hateful speech like that be present in the world in which I live. And he said, as he stood in that grocery store checkout line, that that same fire he felt when he was six years old started working itself around inside of him. And so he looked up 
and he said, we can't have hateful speech like this in our world. And just then, the man was getting ready to say, hey, dude, uh, I'm not talking about you. Michael continued to talk, and he said, I'm scared, and my voice is shaking, but I don't know how I confront, can confront this unless I have some help. So please, the rest of you, please look up. Please look up and stand with me. And as he said that, someone in one of those lines began to applaud. And soon everybody in those three lines was clapping. And do you know what? Everybody was looking up, except for the one man. Then Michael said the weirdest thing started to happen. People started talking to each other. They weren't talking about what they had just witnessed. They just started talking about what was in their grocery carts and who they were having for their Thanksgiving meal. All these people, men and women, young and old, black, white, and brown, they just started talking, and it was joyous, and people who had been strangers before began to hug each other and wish each other a happy Thanksgiving. And this is how Michael concludes his essay. Together we silenced hateful speech. Together, we sil silenced hateful speech. I was overwhelmed with emotion and with fear. But I asked for help, and help came strong and beautiful. Friends, John the Baptist said it. Jesus said it. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And so let us lean into God's kingdom of hope, peace, joy, and love. Every chance that we get. Amen.